Hey, good morning, folks. How's it going? That's really good. It's very nice to see some dark faces in this crowd. Because you know God is black. You know that, right? I spend a lot of my time in Scandinavia. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, when, I, when I'm there, people come from like blocks away to see me. Not, not because of the gospel, but because there's no black people there. It's awesome. Guys, it is so good to be with you this morning, this afternoon now. I got 12.30. Oh, that's awesome. I've got an hour. Oh, that's great. And then, and then we'll move it out into the, to the, to the grass area because you you know, you've got to tear down here. So it's really good to be with you. Um, oh, there's so much I want to say. First of all, just want to greet you from, uh, from Catch the Fire Toronto, which is where I'm from. I don't, want to, I don't ever assume that everybody knows who I am. Um, so I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself. But I want to greet you from Catch the Fire Toronto, which you may or may not know is sort of the, I guess, you know... <laughs> The mothership. <laughs> if you were here yesterday, you know that I don't like the mothership, mothership theology. And I might get into that today or I might not. But um, yeah, um, I'm the pastor of evangelism and, uh, and outreach for Cash Fire Toronto. I'm the full-time guy there. I've been part of the movement um, since before we were Catch the Fire, you know, yeah, there was such a thing as before Catch the Fire. And um, before we were Catch the Fire, um, we were, you know, Toronto Airport Christian Fellowship. And then before that, we were the Toronto Airport Vineyard. Right? And before that, Jesus was born. <laughs> so I was part of the church back in uh, 1993. Um, I, I came to the airport church um, Airport Vineyard at the time, um, with my, my wife, who, by the way, this, this month, we've been married 30 years. Isn't that amazing? Well, I know what you're thinking. You look so young. <laughs> yeah, well, we, I married her when I was 10. Um, so, so we came to the church back in 1993 with our son, who's now 27, and he was like this big then. And um, yeah, my oldest is 27. I have three children. Middle, my middle daughter's 24, and my youngest is 18, going on 30. You know how that is. Any thirdborns here? Fourthborns? You're just, you're just so weird. All of you are just weird. <laughs> weird, weird creatures. Um, and we, we came to the church at that time. And I came to the airport church as an as a absolutely flatlined, burned-out evangelist. And um, how did I get burned out? Well, the way that most of us get burned out. You know what burnout's all about? Very simply, it's when we've bought into the idea that we're called to work for God. Guys, I want to tell you, you can't work for God. You know? My wife and I uh, started and led outreach in the city of Toronto. Uh, 
you know, we're not that far away, so you probably are familiar with the Jane and Finch area and the Glendower and Chesterley. We, we went into the, to these areas and knocked on doors and preached the gospel for, for, for many, many years. And, um, and, and we, we absolutely burned out. Because I'll repeat myself again, because you and I cannot work for God. You see, God never sleeps. He never gets tired. He never stops speaking. So if we think that we're going to keep up the pace with him, I want to tell you, try it. (laughs) God hasn't called us to work um, for him. He's not called us to work for him. He's called us to work in him, with him, through him. And uh, sometimes we have to come to the place where we're flat on our back to realize that, don't we? Where I was in a church environment where it was, it was paramount for you to have faith in your ability to have faith. Yeah, think about that for a second. A lot of our zeal and our zest and our juice is really just a lot of our own strength, you know? And we just kind of involve God in it. Well, how do you know the difference? How do you know the difference? And we're, we're going to kind of go this way this, this morning in what I want to share with you. How do you know the difference? Well, you know the difference in how you feel at the end of the day. It's really simple. Right? If you feel that there's still something lacking and you're tired and there's an ache in your relationship with God and what you do for Him, what we do for Him, well, then I think we've got it misplaced somewhere. Are you, are you following me? But if at the end of the day, after you've labored as hard as you can, and I want to just say this to you, the Christian life is very, very simple. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, maybe you're at a place in your life where your friend brought you here today and you're just kind of at that door. I want you to know something. The Christian life is very, very simple. Very simple. And it's simply this. Everything that we have, we give to Jesus. Everything that we are, we give to God. It's, it's very, very simple. But I want to be really straight with you because I, I tend to, I like to be honest. How many of you know it's not easy? There's a lot of things in, Christian, in the Christian realm, in the Christian life that's... <laughs> It's not easy. And you know what? Guys like us get up at the pulpit like this, this gigantic one, which I saw it coming through the door and I'm like, oh, I love that. That's great. I can just spread out everything on there. It's awesome. I can have breakfast on it. And, no. and uh, we, we, we oftentimes stand here and project messages at you that give us, us the sense that if I could only rise to this level, I could be where you are. And you know, when none of us, we never communicate it directly. It's always sort of the indirect communication. I want to talk to you today about living a questionable life. And here's the deal. We are used to a culture where people like me get paid by people like you to perform. 
Oh, no, we're not a performance. Oh, we're not performance. Guys, come on. Come on, we, we struggle with that all the time. And, and, and what do I mean by that? Well, well, this is what I mean by it. People like us, we come in, and the reason that we're behind the pulpit is because we have a special place with God. <laughs> we, we have a special relationship with Him. Now, you, you, might, you might think this is a little silly. Follow me. Because it isn't. And what we do is we treat church oftentimes like it's a sporting event. And, and, and you're the guys in the stadium, and we're the guys who are the elite athletes. And we perform, and you pay us to perform. And guess how it goes? It goes like this. Wow, man, did you see him blast that ball out of the field? Yes. That's amazing, right? So, so what does that look like? It looks like this. I come up here and I share a testimony with you that last month I led 50,000 people to Jesus, right? As a matter of fact, when I woke up this morning, I walked out into my bathroom and led 10 people to Christ. And then when I left the house and I went to Starbucks, there were people in the lineup and I prayed for every single one of them and they were slain in the spirit and they were like coughing up, vomiting demons. It was just awesome. And we get up and we share these stories. Now, you know, you know where I'm going with this. I hope. And guess what you do? You go, wow. Did you hear that? But in your heart and in your minds, you're going, that ain't me. So what do we have? We have an entire church. Please, I'm talking generally now. We have an entire Christian culture that elevates superstars because of our high watermark testimonies. What is a high watermark testimony? Well, it's simply what I said to you. We get people like myself and others that get up and say things like, we went to heaven. We sat on the couches in heaven. And we heard things. And, and are we lying? No, but here's what I want us to see today. The majority of you in this room did not come to Jesus because someone treasure hunted you in a lineup at Walmart or that somebody prayed for you or prophesied over you in a park. The majority of you are in this room today because, I'll tell you why in a minute, Let's do a quick survey, shall we? Is that okay? How many of you came to Jesus because all by your lonesome, you're walking through a park one day, or you're walking down the street, and a total random stranger shared the gospel with you, and you said yes to Jesus, and you said the sinner's prayer. Anybody, complete stranger, shared Jesus with you, and you gave your life to Christ. Anyone? Put your hands up. Okay. Don't be afraid, okay? It's not a trick question. How many of you came to Jesus because, I don't know, you're walking down the street one day, you saw a poster on a wall for a crusade, and you thought to yourself, oh, I don't know who this person is, but 
It's a gospel crusade, and I'm going to go, and you, you went all by yourself without an invitation to a meeting where you heard the gospel and gave your life to Jesus. Anybody? Okay? How, how, two people? How, how, one person? Yeah, I, I saw him. Yeah. <laughs> how many of you gave your lives to Jesus because you were watching television one day, and you're just flipping through the station, and you saw a preacher? You know? I could really get rude on this one, but I won't. Um, and and you, you watch a television evangelist or a TV preacher or whatever, and they, you, know, you were captivated and you heard the gospel and, and, and said the sinner's prayer and gave your life to Jesus. So, TV, okay, okay. How many of you all by yourself read the Bible? Yeah, either in a hotel, you opened up the drawer and saw Gideon's Bible and you just started reading it. Or, or, you know, you blew off the dust of your mom's Bible or grandma's Bible and you opened up, read the, whatever. You just read the Bible by yourself and the Holy Spirit convicted you and you gave your life to Jesus. Anyone? Okay. All right, uh, how many of you are saved? Okay, I just, thanks. I just, I just, Adam, I love you guys, but I just want to make sure we're not in the Mormon church this morning. All right, you know where I'm going with this, don't you? Now, here's the deal. I've, been to, I've traveled to, to over, but I've done this survey in 25 countries that I've been to. 25 countries, folks. And the stat is always the same. And I would have bet money even before I did the survey here today. How many of you gave your lives to Jesus? Because someone that you knew that was a Christian became your friend led you to Jesus or brought you to church where you gave your life to Christ. Let me see your hands. You know what the percentage is, guys? And the rest of you, we're going to do an altar call for you later. <laughs> you know what the percentage is? The percentage is 95 to 98%. Now, I know eventually I'm going to get crucified for this. I know that I'm going to have to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to have to bear my cross literally for this. But here's, here's what I want to say to you. What I want to say is, you and I are going to see the greatest harvest that our eyes have ever seen. I'm telling you folks, I have never in, in I'm 53 years old and, I, and I've been a Christian since I was 21. I have never in all of my life seen such a hunger in the hearts of people who do not know Jesus for the reality of who God is. I'm telling you right now, they're not looking for Jesus. Folks, they're not looking for Jesus. Hang on to that. They're looking, they're looking for the creator. They're looking for the one who made them. Okay? I have never seen such a hunger in people's hearts ever. But I want to tell you something. People will never come into the kingdom of God if we think that we have to get up and go out with the high watermark stories if we think that we're going to see Kitchener, Ontario, Canada impacted with the, with the gospel because we're going out doing great big high watermark signs and wonders. I want to tell you something. It, it's, it's not going to happen. Oh, man. Didn't hear an amen on that one. Okay. What do you mean, Curtis? Because you're really messing with us here. Okay, here, here's, here's what I mean. It's very simple. 
Very simple math. If 95 to 98% of you in this room came to Jesus as a result, listen now, of someone living a questionable life, then do you not think it's good business for us to learn how to do that really, really well? You have three people? Okay. I think it four? All right, we're getting there. Listen. You and I need to learn. We need to learn how not to preach at people. We need to learn how to leverage relationships and leaven relationships for the impact of the gospel. Oh, Curtis, you're sounding like you're manipulative. You're sounding like you're being intentional. Folks, I want to tell you something. Listen, listen. Okay, here we go. Here comes the preach. Jesus didn't die so we could have a good church. Jesus didn't die so I could have a great ministry. Jesus didn't die to erect great buildings with stained glass windows to the glory of God, as if that's possible. Jesus died for one reason and one reason only, for people. I want you to know something. God cares about people more than anything. I have a son. I have a one and only son. And I want to tell you something. There's no way that I'd sacrifice him for you. There's no way. And there's no way you do the same for me. But let's get back to the simplicity of the, the gospel here. God did it. He laid down the life of his very own son. God gave himself to be a sacrifice. So to pay, therefore to pay the ransom price that was owed on humanity. Why? Here's the reason. Because God loves his creation. And more than anything in his heart and mind, his desire is to have intimate relationship with his creation. What is salvation all about? Guys, I'll tell you what it's about. It's all about God wanting to fill up in himself the part of him that he placed within us. That's what it's about. And what is that? That, that is the completeness that happens when his children by creation become intimate. The only way that they can become intimate is through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. The whole purpose of Jesus coming is so that people will have a loving, intimate everlasting relationship with God. That's the whole reason. But here's the thing. Angels are not permitted to share the gospel. What's our mission? Our mission is to disciple the nations. What does it mean to disciple? To make, after, to make after followers after Christ. That's the, whole, that's the whole idea. Angels aren't allowed to do it. met a man in, in uh, this isn't what I wanted to share, but I'm just going to do it. met a man several years ago, African, met him at a conference, and uh, I believe he's from Kenya. Anyways, 
This is one of the guys that, you know, you know, he walks into a room like this and you just wouldn't pay any attention to him. <laughs> He's not commanding and, you know, intimidating, you know, like I am, you know. <laughs> so if that's such a great thing, God doesn't need that. But anyways, he'd walk into a room and he'd be like, you wouldn't even know he was there. But, you know, he's one of these guys, you know, who's raised the dead like seven times. And, you know, he's planted like six, 6,000 churches. And he just, you know. And um, anyways, he shared his testimony with us. And his testimony was, his testimony was, I met God before I met the preacher. And he said that when he was young, I'm sure he's passed. He's passed away now. At that time, he was like, he was like, I don't know, 900 years old. He was old then. <laughs> And um, so, so he, he shared a testimony. He said when he was a young, young boy in, in, in the village in, 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 in Kenya, he said, he said that um, they worshipped ancestral spirits, the so spirits of their dead ancestors, uncles and aunts and stuff like that. And um, he, said, he said at nighttime he would go out into a field. Oh, this is so beautiful, guys. He'd go out into a field. And he would lie on the he'd lie on the field, and he'd look up at the at the sky, and he'd look at the stars, and something inside of him would say, "Wait a minute! If I'm worshiping my uncles and my aunts and my grandparents, who made them?" And he'd look up at the sky, and he'd look at the stars, and he'd say, "Whoever made them made the stars." And he would he said he would cry out to God. Oh, folks, I'm sorry said he would cry out he would cry out to the one who created the stars for weeks and you know what he said <laughs> he said a few months later a baptist missionary came slashing through the jungle so to speak walked into his village and the news spread everywhere cuz they'd never seen a white face before right Surprise. <laughs> some, some places haven't seen white people, folks. And, and so he said, he said the Baptist missionary came in and he said the news spread and he heard and he said he ran to the missionary. Get this, this is so beautiful. And he said, he said, I know why you're here. You're here. Now, let me stop there and say this. While he was crying out to God, a man came to him, which he later on discovered was an angel. And the man said to him, someone, you want to know who, who created everything? Someone is coming to tell you very soon. Do you see that, folks? So consistent with Scripture, because angels cannot preach the gospel. That's what you have to do. That's what I have to do. So he went to the preacher and he goes, I know why you're here. You're here to tell me about the one who made the stars. And he said, the guy looked at him and just went, what the? <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? Come on. God is so interested in people that he will move heaven and earth. Have you ever wondered? People have asked me the question all the time. What about people who die in distant places and they've never heard the gospel? Is God going to send them to hell? You ever wonder about What about those people? I want to tell you something, folks. God's bigger than a Baptist missionary. 
You believe that? I do. I really do. I believe that wherever there's a hungry heart, this morning, right, what is it, 5 to 12, there are people waking up. It was Saturday last night. Come on, you remember what it's like. Sometimes we've got to remember what it was like. You know, we've become so religious, we're like, you know, totally forgotten what it's like to, to, be, to be in the world. You know, and they're waking up today, right? <laughs> maybe some of you, maybe some of you have a hangover this morning, I don't know. And they're waking up and they're going, come on, there's got to be more to it than this. I did. I did. I remember as a 17-year-old boy, I tell you what, I sat down on the edge of my bed one day and I just cried and cried and cried and cried because I was smart enough to know life sucks and has no meaning without the meaningful one. And I didn't know who he was. And I just cried out, cried out on the edge of my bed. I'll never forget it. And I felt a hand touch my shoulder. And I turned around and almost peed myself. I knew it was God. And they're sitting on the edge of their beds this morning and they're going, there's got to be more to it than this. Well, listen. We are going to see the greatest end time harvest. You know why? Because the greatest, the greatest end time harvesters are going into the fields of harvest. Now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. I want you to turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3, please. Let's, let's look at something. 1 Peter chapter 3. Please don't misunderstand me. I love street ministry. I love preaching the gospel. I love seeing the demonstration of the power of God. I love it. I don't see it enough. I want to see more. But what I'm submitting to you today is this. And I want you to grab a hold of this, please, and understand this. And I wanted to give you permission this morning. And that is, nine-tenths nine of you are not ever going to go out of the streets and preach the gospel. You should be thanking me. Because you don't want to do it. So guess what happens? Guess what happens? I'm just, I'm just, hey, listen, guys, I'm telling you how to cow choose the cabbage, as they say in the South. So guess what happens? We evangelists share the testimonies of all the great things that God is doing and we're constantly telling you to preach the gospel, preach the gospel, preach the gospel. You're looking at us smiling going, yeah, but you know you're not doing it, so what does it make you feel like? You feel like a substandard Christian. I mean, come on, right? We know what we're supposed to do, but we're not doing it. But what I'm going to tell you today is this, several things. Number one, you are in the harvest already. You don't need to go anywhere. You're already there. Do you live somewhere? Do you work? <laughs> Folks, this idea that we need to break out of the four walls of the church, and us evangelists, we love to say that, you know. We got to get out of the four walls of the church. Well, hold on a second. I just shared a statistic with you that confirmed the fact that nine-tenths of us came to Jesus because of these four walls. 
So why are we telling people to break out of the four walls of the church? What I'm trying to say to you is this. I want to see a revival of you and I inviting our friends to church. Oh, you're looking at me like a deer in headlights. <laughs> okay, let me say it again. I don't know how different to say it. And, and, and I don't think I can say it any different. Folks, listen. Our family are my family. I'm married. I have three kids. We are absolutely insane when it comes to inviting people to church. Why? Because, you see, I want my friends who are not Christians to come into this environment so they can... Let, okay, let me share a story with you. My daughter, my, my youngest, she... Um, was it uh, last Sunday? Sunday before I was speaking at the church, and she invited her friends out to church. Okay, we're going to get to the Bible in a second. She invited her friends out to church, and they, they're not Christians. One of them is a Hindu, one's a, a Buddhist, and one's uh, her father's Zoroastrian, which is a very interesting belief system. It's really cool. Anyways, you got to study it. It's really interesting. So they came out, and... Um, because they've always wanted to hear me speak. I don't know why my friends, my, my kids' friends think that I'm, I'm, I'm cool or something. Maybe because I tell them to stop swearing in my house, you know? <laughs> Anyways, but, but um, so they, they, they came out, and I, I shared, and my daughter's best friend um, uh, um, gave her life to Jesus. It was, a, it was a genuine, real and genuine conversion experience. It wasn't, it was real and genuine. I mean, Wow. And she's just different now, which is really cool. That was a Zoroastrian. Anyways, so then we later on went over to their house. That's a whole other story. Um, now, get this. Get this. Her other two friends that were not Christian. <laughs> it's so cool, guys. Like, we, uh, we, the, the, the same presence that we are, we are feeling here, experiencing, is, a, is the same presence at the airport, guys. It's no different. You know, stage is higher. Equipment's more expensive. Different, different, different label on the can of beans, same beans in the can. Okay? I want you to know that. So, during worship, you know, everybody's crowded around, and, and, me, and me and my wife, me and Debbie are standing there, and um, my daughter and her friends are over on the other side, and, you know, God forbid that they would want to, you know, stand next to their parents, right? So they're over on the other side. Get this. Her friends step right in the middle of the mosh pit of worship and and um and one of them's just standing there like this you know and everybody's you know you know you know the way we are right everybody's dancing and doing doing herky jerky things and the other the other the other friend is standing there with his coffee and he's got his hat down and he's got his hand in his pocket and he's going so i'm like whoa this is interesting so afterwards they came to me you know what they said they said this, Mr. Hines, we have never felt anything like that. We have never experienced anything like this. They were, they were, they were awestruck. So, you know, we had a pizza thing at the house afterwards so they could ask more questions and stuff like that. But, but my point is this, my point is, why would you not want your friends to be exposed to that? Now, let's be honest. I think there's some churches. I've been to some churches. I don't. I won't want my friends to come to. <laughs> I, I'm being honest with you. I don't want them. I don't want them there. 
I don't want them there because people stand up on the front, for, they don't introduce themselves. The assumption is that everybody in the room knows exactly what we're talking about at any given, at all given times. We start name dropping people that we don't have a clue who they are. We start using terminology and people are sitting there going, what, 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 what? Right? We're not inclusive, we're not inviting, we're not, we're not nurturing, we're not pastoral. Yeah? So no, I don't want my friends coming to church like that, but I tell you what, I don't want them coming to a church like this. <laughs> I really would. A friend of mine said to me once, he goes, Curtis, wherever you travel in the world, the places that you want to go to again and again are the churches where if you lived in that city, you would want your family going there. Greatest piece of advice. And I want to tell you genuinely, not because you know we're all in the same family and I get paid to say this, but if we lived here, I would, my, me and my family would be here with you guys. I would love to invite my friends here. Come on. So my encouragement to you is how can we, how can we get better at that? How can we get better at that? So I want to see a revival of inviting friends to church. Yeah. And I want you, I want you, I want you to begin to think about that every single day. Well, Curtis, I don't have any Christian friends. Oh, well, well, that's a problem. That's a problem. That's a problem. Church, you need to have non-Christian friends. Not just people they work with that you tolerate. Don't you love that? Jesus was about tolerance. No, he wasn't. I tolerate you. That means I really don't like you, but I don't have a choice. <laughs> I hate that word. I tolerate you. No, I don't tolerate you. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't like you. Or, you know, I like you. Listen, we need to have non-Christian friends. Why? Because we're called to disciple the nations. That's why. We need to have non-Christian friends. Why? Because we are the light of the world. And when you have a light in a room that's lit, it's useless. Right? Hang in there, guys. You're starting to wobble on me here. We've got 25 more minutes. How many of you ever, I don't know, Walk into a room that's lit in the middle of the night, throw open the curtains and say, I'm going to let some darkness in here to balance out and just dim the light. It's ridiculous, isn't it? Why? Because light dispels darkness. Darkness cannot dispel light. Oh, now we're getting dangerous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we are getting dangerous. I have a neighbor I hang out with on a continual basis. He's become one of my best friends. I stink of weed every time I go back into my house. <laughs> and it's not because I smoke it, sweetheart. It's bad. Very bad. Okay? But here's the deal. If I'm not willing, follow me now, if I'm not willing to hang out with him 
and maybe get a little bit of his stink rubbing off on me, then how am I supposed to disciple him? Are you following me? All right. What about those gay people? Ooh. Should I go there? I'm going to go there. I have interns at our church. I have an intern that's become a daughter to my wife and I. And she was a radical. I mean, I'm talking like, like fire-spitting lesbian, like radical lesbian. And um, despised Christians. I mean, just despised religion, the whole deal. And then she dared to go to church one day. Not our church, but a church out in Nova Scotia. And you know what she said? She said to me, Curtis, you know why I'm in love with Jesus today and I'm no longer in the lifestyle? It's not because somebody told me that it was wrong. It's because, listen now, folks, listen. It's because when I came to church, I touched the presence of God, or he touched me every single time I came to church. No one condemned me. They just loved on me. And the presence of God so touched my life. She said one day, one day, she said she just went. This isn't who I am. Isn't that incredible? Do we need to invite people to church? Heck yeah. Absolutely. So I want to see that. I want to see a revival. I want to encourage you to do that. I want you to model it for each other. What we need to do is organize events and times and things and just a simple little things to invite people to come to church. Well, are you saying that God's presence is here more than is it? Yeah, yeah, I am, yeah. Yeah. That's why we're here. He's here. Okay, now, here's what Peter has to say, and I'm going <laughs> to... I'm going to close. I've got to take off. I want you to pray for me, folks. I'm, I'm, um, I'm the uh, chaplain coordinator for the region of Peel Police. That's the other thing I do in our community. And just before coming here, I'm sitting at the breakfast table, and I got a phone call from the police that um, a very tragic thing happened with one of our officers. And, uh, and they're like, Curtis, we need you, we need you, we need you. So I'm leaving here, and I've got I to gotta go straight to Oakville and sit with the family for probably the rest of the evening. So going to be a tough time. But you know what? Again, what, what is that? I've decided to be light and darkness, folks. That's what I've decided to do with my life. Yeah? And I've seen more police officers in our regional police service touched by God. Why? Because I've decided to make myself available. I've decided to engage. I've decided, listen now, to live a questionable life. Now, it's very funny I'd say police because when in police language, and they consider me one of them, took five years, but in police language, a questionable life, it's not a good thing. <laughs> That's, that guy's of questionable character. <laughs> I've learned so much from the cops. I've learned how to knock a door with authority. <laughs> and I'm not kidding you. I, I have. I've learned so much from them. Um, but I want to show you something, okay? Look at this. In 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning of verse 15, the Apostle Peter says this, as he's talking to the church, we're going to kind of get in there mid-conversation. He says, who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. 
Brother, I just feel, uh, sorry guys, I'm going to divert for a second. I just, I just felt something for you from the Lord. And, 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 and that is this. I just feel to encourage you to begin to believe God to give you a, a greater anointing, anointing, greater skill, grace to build. Because I feel that you are one that in this time are going to be an evangelist in the truest sense of the word, which is one who builds the body of Christ to do the work. So I, I want to just give that to you, just leave that to you. Um, yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, and, and by the way, that's what I'm looking for across our entire movement, guys. All of our Catch the Fire churches, I want to tell you something, folks. That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for evangelists, not just people who go on the streets and spit fire, because we're all supposed to do that. But what is an evangelist? An evangelist spits fire, but he also has an ability to build you up to spit fire. And that's what I'm looking for. So if that's you, that's what our, that's what our church, I say our church, that's what we need here. Yeah? Are you a builder? Do you have a heart for souls? Then you're an evangelist. Okay, so don't let, uh, what does he say here? Who's going to harm you? Uh, if you're eager to do good, if, but even if you should suffer for it as right, you are blessed. Do not fear. I'm not going to use these, this clicker thing, dude. That's not going to happen. Um, do not fear what they fear. Are you following, folks? Watch this. Do not be frightened, but in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Then he says this, always be prepared. To give an answer, oh, it is up there. To give an answer, listen now, to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Well, here we go. We've heard that one before, right? Curtis, this is part of the reason why we feel so guilty. Here you go again. But I want us to see something that perhaps we have not seen before. And that is this. The Apostle Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Therefore, God says to us, always be prepared. But now here's the deal. I think this is the first time I've ever seen in the Bible, in the New Testament, anywhere, where you and I have to wait for people to ask us before we give them an answer. That's very interesting, Curtis. I thought, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> it's the first place where we are told to wait. Why? Why would someone ask me for the reason that, that I have this hope? That's not a normal conversation, is it? It's not normal that you meet somebody, you know, at chapters or at a coffee place and they go, hey, why do you have this hope in Jesus? That's not normal. Normally, what we've been taught to do is we're the ones that go to chapters or what the other place I said, I forgot now. And we go to people and say, I want you to know why I have this hope. Are you following me, folks? But instead, Peter says, be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you why you have this hope. Why would they ask you? Because you're living a life that's questionable. 
Because you're living a life that warrants questions. Are you living a life that warrants people asking you questions about your faith? That, my friend, is where we're going to see the greatest end time harvest. How does this work? I'll give you a couple of very quick points. How do you live a questionable life? Get the heck out from under the rock and simply start loving people. Well, I thought we were supposed to preach. Listen, don't worry about the words. That comes... Every, listen, every one of you in this place, if you're born again, has the gospel in your hearts. Okay. Okay. Love people. How do we start to love people? How, here's how you start. Here's how you start. Oh, I want to love you. You know, the people are going to, you're going to get arrested for that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Uncle Curtis says, don't do that. How do we do it? How, here's how we start. Here's how we start. Why don't you decide to smile at people more? <laughs> oh, I'm full of the joy of the Lord. Oh, yeah, man, you got to tell your face that, you know? <laughs> well, you don't know what I've been through. Oh, I don't care what you've been through. Smile at people. Well, I can only do that when I'm feeling good. Well, then, man, you, you might as well just go, go to heaven now. Because life is hard. If we're waiting until we get to this place of spiritual whatever, whatever that is, forget it. You are the light of the world. The Bible doesn't teach us that we are developing to become the light. And I think this is the problem sometimes in an inner healing culture is that we think we need to get to a place where we've arrived where we can be useful for God. The second you are born again, you are more useful then than you are 15 years later. I'm telling you, that's what I've observed. You are the light of the world. Okay, so here's what I want you to do. Number one, I want you to smile at people more. I go running. I run four to five miles every other day. I scare the liver out of people when I run. Because I say hello to everybody. Almost everybody. No, that's not true. Almost everybody. Yeah. 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 Especially, you know, the ones with the turbans and, and the, the veils? You know those ones, right? The ones that we love so much? I say hi to them all the time. You'd be surprised. They're so terrifying, aren't they? I was in Canadian Tire the other day, and um, there, there was a, a, a veiled woman. She had the, the, the kneecap, no, the hijab, and she, um, and she was with her husband, and, and, and they're looking at hats, they're trying on hats, and, and, and you know, they're looking around and looking. You know, why, you know why they look so grumpy all the time? Because they're scared. Because they know people don't like them. So, so here she is, trying. He, he's trying on a hat, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to smile at these people. I'm going to say hello. I went over and I said, that hat looks beautiful on you. And you know what this woman did? She went from this to, oh, thank you so much. Yes, he looks so handsome. It was incredible. It was incredible. It just kind of made her day. Is that evangelism? Yes. Yes. 
Because it is, listen, engagement is a doorway to relationship, which is a doorway to earning the right to be heard, which is the doorway to people saying, what is the reason you have this hope that you have within you? Why? And then we're able to say, well, let me tell you about a man who died 2,000 years ago. Are you following me? Now, every one of us can do that. But if I were to say to you, I got a box of tracks, and we are going to go out right now into Kitchener, every one of us, you thought you were coming to church to be safe. Well, here we go. And we're going to go out and hand out tracks to everybody. You know, I think there'd be myself, there'd be you, and there'd be three or four other people. I've identified you over the last two days. And you'd go with us, and the rest of you would be like, have at her, man. Let us know how you did, right? And what would that do? That would be counterproductive to what Jesus wants to do. Because here's the deal. Next Sunday, we'd be the guys getting up, sharing the testimony about all of the tracts we handed out and people that we led to Jesus. You non-committed Christians, you. Are you following me? All right. Smile at people. Number one, engage with people. I shared this when I was in Montreal at a church, and I did 13 meetings. I did an evangelistic audit of the church. I did 13 meetings in four days. Is that insane? And what got into me? <laughs> yeah, I was in Christ. Yeah, I was in Christ. And, and I, one, at one meeting, we sat down with the board, and I, I, I just let them have it. It was after Sunday. I let them have it. I was like, guys, you know what? I, I walked around and observed your Sunday morning service, I led two people to Jesus and not one of you, not one of you followed up with them. Anyway, so I shared some stuff with them. You know what a board member said to me? It was amazing. He said, Curtis, your talk on smiling and engaging with people for the first time in 14 years, I went to my next door neighbor and I started talking to him. What? Do you mean you mean it's you mean it's that simple? Yeah, love is very simple. Smile at people, engage with them, engage with them on purpose. Start spending time. And I'm gonna end. Start spending time, quality time, with your non Christian friends. Quality time. Not an Amway pitch. <laughs> Don't you hate that? Not a bait and switch. We invite you, you know, everybody's over at your house for a wonderful spread. And then you're like, well, now this is the real reason I asked you to come over here. <laughs> Whoa, that's, that's, that's ugly. That's ugly. Um, no, just invite them over. Start hanging out with them. Take them out for lunch. Have a coffee. Connect. Why? Because you just want to be friends. Are you with me? Will you do this? Always be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the hope that you have within you. But do it. Do it with gentleness and with respect.
Can you stand? I'd like to pray. Are we okay, Adam? We're good? Okay. Parents, please pick up your children. Make sure you bring your receipt. No, it's okay. It's okay. All right. All right, folks, let's, let's pray. I would like to pray for a couple of things. Um, number one, I'd like to pray for every husband, wife, son, daughter, father, mother, cousin, friends that you have, and that you have been laboring for to see them come to Jesus, and they haven't. I want to pray for them. I believe very, very strongly um, and it's one of those theories that I'm proving as I go along. <laughs> um, that we, we can pray effectively enough to see someone come into the kingdom. The Apostle Paul says, Satan is blind to the eyes of them who don't believe. Well, we can pray that the blinders be taken off. The Apostle Paul says that our wep the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, but they're they're powerful through God to, to what? To the pulling down of strongholds. And those strongholds are always as it relates to things that hold people away from Christ. Because then he goes on to talk about them, right? So I believe that we can, you know, we don't have to start sweating and everything, but I believe that we can pray with authority. How many of you have someone in one of or more of those categories that are not born again? Let me see your hands, please. Yeah, okay. Wonderful. When I first started getting a hold of this, half of my, more than half of my family were not born again. I mean, like my extended family. And, and, and now the great majority of my, my um, aunts and uncles and my cousins are, are born again. And, and it's just amazing. And I never led any of them to Jesus. I would just go over and they'd be like, I went to a Benny Hinn co co conference. I'm like, well, you went to a what? <laughs> what? How did that happen? Prayer. All right. So let's lift our hands to the Lord and we're just going to, yeah. So Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you. In the name of Jesus. Jesus, you said that you constantly ever stand before the throne making intercession for us. We believe it. We believe it. Father, we lift up every single brother, sister, mother, father, every relative, every dear one to us that doesn't know you. And in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, we command every stronghold to fall off of their lives. We command every imagination and high thought and philosophy, every single scaffolding, to begin to disintegrate right now. We command the blindness to be removed from their eyes in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And we ask, Lord, that the light of your gospel, your great news of how much you love them and want them to come into relationship with you would, would begin to stream into their lives, that you would send laborers from every single corner, from abstract places to begin to share with them. And Lord... We just speak right now that over the next two months, over the next two months, Lord, I declare that over the next two months that we will begin to see rapid 
rapid salvations, rapid coming into the kingdom. In the name of Jesus, we just speak that out, we declare it in Jesus' name, Holy Spirit. Jesus, you told us to pray for the Lord of the harvest to send laborers. Send laborers across our, the paths of our mothers, fathers, husbands, wives, our children, our cousins, our grandparents, our loved ones. Send laborers across their paths. Lord, with the perfect timing of the blinders being removed from their eyes and, the, and the, the, the strongholds coming down off of them, we ask that you'd send laborers across their path to share your love with them. And Lord, that the miracle, the miracle of salvation, the miracle of conversion, the miracle would happen in their lives. We declare it. We mark today. We mark it today in the name of Jesus. And we thank you. We thank you for it right now. Now, is there anybody here today who would say, Curtis, you know what? I, I'm not in. I'm not in. I'm not in on some of the stuff you're talking about. I, I, I want Jesus on the inside. You may be feeling him on the outside, but you don't have him on the inside. You don't have God's spirit inside of you. I want you to wave at me. I want to pray for you. Anybody here today? Anyone? Don't be ashamed. You're in a safe place. Don't be afraid, I should say. You're in a safe place. Anybody? Okay. All right. Okay, guys. So, so, so starting when you leave this place, smile. <laughs> starting when you leave this place, engage with people. Ask them how their day's going. Starting when you leave this place, decide which unchurch friends, un non-Christians that you're going to start spending time with and begin to spend time with them. And then when the timing is right and you'll know when it is, Let's invite them to church. Amen. Come on. Amen. God bless you guys.